0: Red brick in the suburbs, white horse on the wall Italian marble in the city hall O stranger from England, why stand so aghast May the Lord in his mercy be kind to Belfast This jewel that houses our hopes and our fears Was knocked up from the swamp In the last hundred years. But the last shall be first. And the first shall be last. May the Lord in his mercy. Be kind to Belfast. We swore by King William. There'd never be seen. An All-Irish Parliament at College Green. So at Stormont we're nailing the flag to the mast. May the Lord, in His mercy, be kind to Belfast Oh the bricks they will bleed, and the rain it will weep, and the damp lag and fog lull the city to sleep it's to hell with the future and live on May the Lord in his mercy be kind to Belfast.
1: Perhaps not too many people have been kind to Belfast. Even some of its citizens don't speak well of it. But let's give it a chance. Let's look at its past, a past very many know little or nothing of. I'm standing inside the security gates, right in the heart of the city at Castle Junction, a name which is a reminder that it was here that Sir Arthur Chichester built his castle. There was no town at all until Chichester began building one around his castle in 1603. By 1611, the plantation commissioners reported favourably on the progress made. The town of Belfast is plotted
2: out in good form, wherein are many families of English, Scottish and some Manx men already inhabiting, of which some are artificers who have built good timber houses
1: with chimneys after the fashion of the English pale. Facing due east, I'm looking down High Street, which was, until 100 years ago, Belfast's main thoroughfare. Until it was covered over in the early 19th century, the Farset Stream ran down the centre of the street, probably under my feet, actually, spanned by several bridges before entering the Lagham. Belfast was essentially a plantation town, as Emerys Jones makes clear in his social geography of Belfast
3: published in 1960. Belfast began as a foreign town. It was an English-Scot-Protestant establishment to which the native population only slowly and gradually moved. Consequent growth maintained the Protestant ascendancy. And Irish people were looked upon almost as immigrants. They had an alien tongue, a different religion, a lower socio-economic position, and they were by no means integrated with the new culture. Belfast was in the most Protestant corner of Ireland
1: and its loyalty was assured when William of Orange arrived in 1690. The townspeople welcomed their deliverer in verse. Greatest of kings,
4: conquer what is your own and add poor Ireland to sweet England's crown. Pull the stiff neck of every papist
1: down. And a contemporary described King Billy's triumphant entry into
5: Belfast in the following words. The streets were filled with bonfires and fireworks, which were no sooner lighted than the alarm signal was given to the discharge of guns, so planted that from one place to another throughout the whole country, all places had notice of the King's arrival, and in three hours made bonfires so thick that the whole country seemed in a flame. A fortnight later, William won his victory at the Boyne, and under his protection, Protestant
1: Belfast prospered. Though persecuted to some extent by the penal laws, the Presbyterians controlled the business of the town and helped to make Belfast the cradle of the Industrial Revolution in Ireland. I'm in the grounds of Clifton House, built in the 1770s as a refuge for the poor of Belfast. I like its clean, unpretentious lines, its rich brown brick and its curious little octagonal tower. I think it's the most handsome building in Belfast. Its designer, Robert Joy, brought the first power-driven cotton machinery to Ireland to give work to the pauper children here at Clifton House. But did poverty blind other eyes to the beauty of this building? Did they welcome the paternalism of this Belfast newsletter advertisement?
4: Provision being now made in this house for the greatest number of the begging poor and new badges provided for the remainder with licenses to beg for a limited time until the house be fully fitted up for their reception, it is expected that the inhabitants will direct their attention to those and discourage all public beggars who, they may be assured, are not entitled to their charity. And whoever shall apprehend and bring to the poor house any such strolling beggars will be paid five
1: and fivepence for each after next Saturday and indeed there was much poverty in the depression of the 1770s when 12,000 Protestants were leaving for America every year
0: as I went awoke one morning in May to view the valleys and mountains so gay I was thinking on these flowers all going to decay that bloom around ye bunny bunny sleeve gallant, bray it's not for the want of employment at home that causes the sorrow Of old Ireland to roam its the rents are getting higher and I can no longer stay so farewell.
1: Not only Catholics but Protestants also were affected by the relentless rise in rents. The journey across the Atlantic in those days was fraught with perils as John Smiley recorded in a letter describing his passage from Belfast to Philadelphia.
5: Hunger and thirst had now reduced our crew to the last extremity. Nothing was now to be heard aboard our ship but the cries of distressed children and of their distressed mothers unable to relieve them. Our ship was now truly a real spectacle of horror never a day passed without one of our crew put overboard. Many killed themselves by drinking sea water and their own urine was a common drink. Yet in the midst of all our miseries our captain showed not the least remorse or pity. Other Protestants who
1: could not afford to emigrate formed a secret society, the Hearts of Steel, to resist their rapacious landlords and clergy in the vicinity of Belfast. They declared in their proclamation, betwixt landlord and rectors. The very
4: marrow is screwed out of our bones and our lives are even become so burdensome to us by these uncharitable and unreasonable men that we do not care whether we live or die. They have reduced us to such a deplorable state by such grievous oppressions that the poor has turned black in the face and the skin
1: parched on their back. The Hearts of Steel burned some houses of their oppressors, just down the street here, and made a furious attack in the barrack where the divest flats now stand, just uh, a bit to the south of us here. But prosperity returned in the 1780s, and the developing trade of the town created a large, confident Presbyterian middle class. Protestants who resented the exclusiveness of the ascendancy, who denied them a share in ruling either the town or the country. These descendants of colonists of the 17th century now identified themselves as Irish. Powerfully affected by the French Revolution, they declared in an address to the National Assembly of France in 1790...
5: As Irishmen, we too have a country, and we hold it very dear. So dear to us its interest that we wish all civil and religious intolerance annihilated in this land. Go on, then, great and gallant people to practice the sublime philosophy of your legislation and not by conquest but by the omnipotence of reason to convert and liberate the world a world whose eyes are fixed on you whose heart is with you who talks of you with all her tongues
1: the presbyterians paid for the town's first catholic church st mary's and attended mass at the opening ceremony in 1784 others went further and prepared for revolution against the british government to unite people of every class and religion in creating a democratic republic, and indeed it was in Belfast that the United Irishman was founded by Presbyterian radicals of the town in 1791. This is the Cave Hill, a rugged bluff of almost perpendicular basalt to the north of Belfast. From here I can see the whole city, the huge Goliath crane astride the shipyards, towering office blocks dwarfing the city hall, and then Suburbs curling round Belfast Lock from Carrick Ferguson in the north to to Hollywood and beyond to the south. Wolf Tone climbed the Cave Hill in 1795. He would have seen a very different view. Lord Donegal's extensive Deer Park down there, where there are houses and, and high-rise flats, linen bleaching on green fields and Belfast, a compact seaport, its skyline broken only by the cupola of the White Linen Hall and the Spire of St Anne's Parish Church. At the top of the Cave Hill on McCart's Fort, known to everyone in Belfast as Napoleon's nose, Wolf Tone and his radical Presbyterian friends from Belfast pledged themselves to bloody revolution.
3: I remember particularly two days that we passed on the Cave Hill. On the first Russell, Nielsen, Sims McCracken, and one or two more of us on the summit of McGart's Fort, took a solemn obligation never to desist in our efforts until we had subverted the authority of England over our country and asserted her independence. Another day we had the tents of the first regiment pitched in the Deer Park, and a company of thirty of us, including the family of Sims, Nielsen's and McCrackens and my own, dined and spent the day together deliciously.
1: They were as good as their word, causing one MP in the Irish Parliament to declare that Belfast was a town whom no king could govern nor no god could please. Three years later, the Protestant radicals of Belfast joined the abortive 98 risings in Antrim and Down. Henry Joy McCracken, a Belfast cotton merchant, was hanged at Corn Market, witnessed by John Smith.
5: Horse orders were given by the officers. The troops moved about, the people murmured, A horrible confusion ensued, and in a minute or so the manly, handsome figure on which the impression of nobility was stamped was dangling at a rope's end. The body was soon cut down, and the only favour extended to it was freedom from mutilation.
0: An Ulster man I'm proud to be, from the Antrim Glens I come. And though I've laboured by the sea, I have followed fife and drum. I've heard the martial tramp of men, I've watched them fight and die. And well do I remember when I followed Henry Joy. It was for Ireland's cause we fought for home and sire we bled our numbers were few but our hearts beat true and five to one lay dead and many a lassie mourned her lad and mother mourned her boy For youth was strong in that gallant throng That followed Henry Joy
1: The 98 insurrections led directly to the Act of Union in 1801. The Protestant burghers of Belfast were glad to be rid of the corrupt rule of the ascendancy in College Green. Nowhere did the Union work so well as in Belfast. First the town was the centre of a flourishing cotton industry, And then, in 1828, the Mulholland brothers of York Street at last mastered the intricacies of spinning flax by steam power. As Hugh McCall, a fellow manufacturer, recalled...
4: The profits of the York Street concern exceeded the dreamiest imaginings of the proprietors. But, like wise men, they had the good sense to preserve perfect silence on a subject which few can resist the temptation to talk about. Wealth, however like its opposite, can hardly follow anyone's exertions without some evidence of its track. Several of the far-seeing merchants began to surmise the truth respecting the new El Dorado that had been discovered in York Street, and no long time elapsed until other tall chimneys
1: began to rise in different parts of the town. I am standing on the site of Mulholland's Mill in York Street, now the main artery for traffic going north to Antrim and Derry. Mulholland's became the biggest linen mill in the world. Indeed, Belfast soon became the greatest centre of linen production in the world and the mills drew in thousands of poor people from Ulster's impoverished hinterland. Protestants and Catholics alike, they brought with them the sectarian passions which had been festering for generations. In 1708 there were only seven Catholics in Belfast. Now. By the 1830s, Catholics formed one-third of the town's population. Belfast's reputation for tolerance vanished. The 1833 inquiry into municipal corporations chronicled the sad litany of early sectarian outbreaks.
3: The melancholy particulars of the Sandy Row riots arising out of the unchristian practice of hooting at, insulting and attacking persons attending the funerals of deceased Roman Catholics. The Brown Street riots which grew out of the custom of annually erecting an orange arch across a public street on the 12th of July by the Orange Party, and the Hercules Street Riots, which took place upon the collision of the exasperated parties, on the occasion of the chairing of the members for the borough after the general election of December 1832. Nine years later,
1: Daniel O'Connell visited Belfast at the height of his agitation for repeal of the Act of Union. His visit was resented by Protestants who disrupted his meeting and attacked a Catholic church, the homes of well-known repealers and the offices of O'Connell's newspaper, The Vindicator. As the Liberator left Belfast, escorted by four police cars and a body of police cavalry, the Reverend Henry Cook, the most potent Presbyterian preacher of the age, addressed his supporters in words which echo with Calvinism and capitalism.
5: I would show Mr O'Connell what he did not yet see. That is the wonders of Belfast. It is true that within only a comparatively recent period, our town was merely a village. But what a glorious sight does it now present. Turn in what direction we will, our eyes meet new streets and public buildings. Numbers of new manufactories rise up on every side. And look where we may, we see signs of increasing prosperity. And to what cause is all this prosperity owing? Is it not to the free intercourse which the Union enables us to enjoy with England and Scotland, to that extension of our general commerce which we derive through that channel? I can fancy I see the genius of industry seated upon the hills which look down upon our lovely town, while accompanied by the genius of Protestantism. Her influence is shed from that point over the length and breadth of Ulster. Can there be any religious liberty, I would ask him, in a community where freedom of conscience is unknown? Religious
1: animosity may have been intensified by the brutalising conditions in the cramped, narrow streets described by the Reverend W.M. O'Hanlon in 1853. Let
2: me first direct your eye to some of the purlieus of North Queen Street. Plunging into the alleys and entries of this neighbourhood, what indescribable scenes of poverty, filth and wretchedness everywhere met the eye. Barrack Lane was surely built when it was imagined the world would soon prove too straight for the number of its inhabitants. No pure breath of heaven ever enters there. It is tainted and loaded by the most noisome, reeking feculence as it struggles
1: to reach these loathsome hovels. It was the women who endured the most wretched conditions in the linen mills, their health endangered by flax dust, and to make the long hours of work more endurable, they sang.
6: You would easy know a daffer when she comes into town with her long yellow hair and her ringlets hanging down with her rubber tied before her and her pickers in her hand. You would easy know a doffer for she'll always get a man Oh, she'll always get a man, oh, she'll always get a man You would easy know a doffer for she'll always get a man
1: The doffers changed the spindles on the spinning machines and were contemptuously envious of the better paid weavers
6: you would easy know a weaver when she comes into town with her old snuffy nose and her snathers hangin down with a shawl around her shoulders and a shuttle in her horn you would easy know a weaver for she'll never get a man-i shall never get a man-i shall never get a man-you would easy know a weaver for she'll never get a man
1: but the very prosperity of the Belfast linen industry depended on cheap labour and the mill girls were the lowest paid textile workers in the United Kingdom. Oh what is Mary weeping for, oh weeping for, A oh, weeping for Oh what is Mary weeping
0: for, a An cold and frosty morning Oh what is Mary weeping for, a oh, weeping for, a oh, weeping for Oh what is Mary weeping for, a An cold and frosty morning Perhaps it was her wages
1: Low wages meant that linen workers could afford to rent only the most wretched accommodation, as Dr Newitt of Ligoniel reported in 1873 to the Belfast Board of Guardians.
4: Gentlemen, I am desirous of bringing before your notice the condition of some recently erected houses, which in my opinion are not fit to afford shelter to domesticated animals, much less to our fellow creatures. The privy accommodation is public and so small and abominable that I do not consider it decent. These houses are one story high. The construction of them is flimsy, the walls being four inches back and front. They have flat roofs made of wood, covered with tar and felt. I was in some of the houses. In one of them, I saw the raindrops on a bed, and some heavy raindrops were falling so fast as to necessitate a vessel being placed alongside the bed to catch the water. The floor was so wet that ash had been sprinkled on it to sop up some of the wet. The floor of the back room was so saturated with sewage matter from a privy outside, which easily soaked in through the flimsy four-inch wall.
1: Only the spectacular growth of shipbuilding and engineering in the last quarter of the 19th century brought better pay and conditions. Meanwhile... Belfast Protestants were becoming alarmed at the strength of the Irish Nationalists' campaign for Home Rule. Feelings ran high in June of 1886 when the House of Commons voted on Gladstone's first Home Rule bill. Frankfurt Moore got the result of the vote in Belfast by electric telegraph.
5: I remember that as I made my way homeward on the lovely June morning when the bill was thrown out, although it was only four o'clock, I was met by groups of working men who had risen two or three hours before their usual time and came forth from their houses to learn the result of the division in the House of Commons. And when I told them that the bill had been defeated, the cheers that filled the air at the news surprised the policemen at the corners. I met scores of the same class of the population who had left their homes in the side streets to put to me in their own idiom and staccato pronunciation the burning question. Is them on's beat? And when I assured them that the unspeakable nationalists had been beaten by a good majority, once more the cheers were raised. In spite of the Bill's defeat, Belfast Protestants fought the police night
1: after night for weeks on end and, as we learned from the Belfast newsletter, women too played their part. Paving stones had been strewn over the road by a
4: number of vicious young women who carried them in their aprons, dropping them at convenient intervals. A terrible scene ensued. Hundreds of people stoned the police in a desperate manner. The police charged them with battens, but without avail. And when the stone-throwing waned for a moment, girls and women came to the front
1: and uttered the most desperate threats to the men who desisted. Fifty people were killed, 371 police were injured, and 191 Catholic families were expelled from their homes. Occasionally, the grim Belfast humour came through.
7: Who there, Bill? A policeman. Hello, let me have a thump on him. Get along out of this and find a policeman for yourself.
1: Riots or no riots, Belfast thrived and became the largest city in Ireland in the 1890s. By the early years of this century, Belfast had the biggest shipyard, flax mill, textile machinery works, rope works, tobacco factory, tea machinery factory and even the biggest gasometer in the world. The city's products sold worldwide.
2: The popping of Cantrell and Cochrane's corks is heard in the bungalows of the British cantonment in the Great Dependency in the Far East. And its sparkle is familiar to the viceregal entourage up in the hot season refuge of the Anglo Indians at Simla. Dons and signorinas quaff this liquid boon in the tropical climes of South America. The West Indies welcome it as a treasure. Africa's sunny fountains are outrivaled in their very habitat by its gleam. The Antipodes have taken this gift of the mother empire with gratitude. This is the Queen
1: Elizabeth Bridge the newest of the bridges spanning the Lagan. Actually, there was quite a row about the naming of this bridge in the 60s because Unionists wanted to call it the Carson Bridge and that, of course, was offensive to the Nationalists. In the end, the least unacceptable compromise was the Queen Elizabeth Bridge. Now, as we look northeast to where the Lagan enters Belfast Lock, we see the Goliath Crane looming over the shipyards on the Queen's Island on the south side of the river. I can't see much sign of activity now, and Harland and Wolfe is surviving only on massive subsidies. In fact, the industrial sounds we can hear are of piles of ugly scrap metal being loaded into a ship on the docks. In the early years of this century, however, thousands crossed the Queen's Bridge, just immediately behind us here every morning to work in the world's greatest shipyard.
3: Terrible as an army with banners through the dusk of a winter's eve, Over the bridge the thousands tramp. Splendid ships they build, more splendid far, the hearts that dare conceive such vastness and such power. Terrible as an army with banners, the legions of labour, the builders of ships, tramp through the winter's eve. That army of men built some of the
1: world's biggest ships. The Oceanic in 1899, the Olympic in 1910, and in 1911, the Titanic, which foundered so tragically on her maiden voyage in 1912.
0: You feeling-hearted Christians Oh, listen to my tale The gallant ship Titanic For New York Land did sail She was lovely And the largest boat That ever But she lies with 1,500 souls beneath the Atlantic sea.
1: The best paid skilled jobs in the yard were monopolized by Protestants. And indeed, all over the city, it was difficult for Catholics to find full acceptance in the factories, mills, and workshops. The Catholic bakery owner, Barney Hughes, said in evidence to a royal commission, There are few Catholic employers in the town,
4: And others will not take Catholic apprentices, for the workers will not work with them, as either apprentices or journeymen. Every trade has an orange lodge, and their people know each other, for they have signs and passwords, so that the Catholic population has no chance at all.
1: And for other things, Barney Hughes is remembered in the streets of Belfast.
0: Barney Hughes' bed, sticks to your belly like lead, not a bit of wonder, you fart. Like thunder, Barney Hughes
1: spread. Employers could exploit sectarian divisions in the Belfast working classes, but there were times when workers of both creeds could unite against their employers for better conditions, as in 1907 when Jim Larkin organised a successful dock strike.
5: Protestant and Catholic trade unionists united to post up this handbill. Not as Catholics or Protestants, as nationalists or unionists, but as Belfast men and workers. Stand together and don't be misled by the employer's game of dividing Catholic and Protestant.
1: Working-class solidarity in the city was soon swept away by the passions aroused by the Liberal government's preparations to give Ireland a parliament of her own. The Dublin lawyer, Sir Edward Carson, won the hearts of Belfast Protestants of every class when, on the 23rd of June 1911, He said to 50,000 Unionists in East Belfast, With the help of God, you and I, joined together,
2: will yet defeat the most nefarious conspiracy that has ever been hatched against a free people. We must be prepared the morning Home Rule passes, ourselves to become responsible for the government of the Protestant province of
1: Ulster. Only the outbreak of the First World War prevented the implementation of Home Rule. The British government's commitment to consider special treatment for the North was strengthened by the terrible sacrifice of the Ulster Division at the Battle of the Somme. 5,500 fell on the first day of the battle, the 1st of July, 1916, and a 17-year-old survivor wrote home to his mother on the Grosvenor Road, Dear mar just a few lines to let you know I'm safe.
4: And thank God for it, for I had a rough time of it in the charge we made. Mar, don't let on to V. Quinn's mother or Archer's mother that they must be killed or wounded, for they're missing off roll call. There's not another Governor Road fella left but myself. Mother, we were tramping over the dead. I think there's only about 400 left, out of about 1,300. If God spares me to get home safe, I will have something awful to tell you. If hell is any worse, I would not like to go to it. This is all I can say at present, from your loving son, Herbie.
1: The war did nothing to heal divisions in Belfast. When, at the height of the Anglo-Irish War, Northern Ireland was set up by the 1920 Government of Ireland Act, sectarian hatreds in Belfast reached new levels of intensity. As one atrocity followed another,
5: Catholics were driven from the shipyards. Men, armed with sledgehammers and other weapons, swooped down on Catholic workers in the shipyards and didn't give them a chance for their lives. The gates were smashed down with sledges, The vests and shirts of those at work were torn open to see if the men who were wearing any Catholic emblems, and woe betide the man who was.
1: Between July 1920 and July 1922, 453 people, more than half of them Catholics, died in the vicious street warfare in Belfast. At the same time, the former prosperity of the city died. 23% were out of work in 1922, and in the streets, children sang this parody of a popular hymn.
0: Happy land far, far away Where they eat bread and jam three times a day Oh, how we sweetly sing Dancing on the gravy
3: ring Oh, how we love to be far, far away
1: On the 14th of June 1926 Hungry unemployed men gathered on the Shankill Road to hear Samuel Patterson of the Unemployed Workers' Organization
7: Comrades and unemployed! We are here to bring to your notice the demonstration of the unemployed that is to take place tomorrow to the poor law guardians. Ye were heroes when you were in the trenches. If ye were still the same heroes, three hundreds of you could still go up to the workhouse and take possession for a day. Ye could compel... The dirty boss class to grant your demands. Here's a police coming. They're always on the alert when revolution's spoken off. Here, run like hell.
1: Patterson was arrested, and the next day, the unemployed from all parts of the city marched on the Union Workhouse, now the City Hospital, to protest at the niggardly relief given by the Board of Guardians. They were stopped at the gates on the Lisburn Road. Six years later, the Great Depression pushed the level of unemployment in the city to 28%. Neither the guardians nor the government seemed to care. I'm in the grounds of the City Hall, a sumptuous Edwardian structure built in 1906 on the site of the White Linen Hall. Here the city fathers meet, and here, between 1921 and 1932, the Northern Ireland Parliament assembled. On Friday, the 30th of September, 1932, the Northern Ireland Commons met on the very last day before moving to the newly completed Stormont building on the Newtonards Road. It was a stormy session. Order! Order! Pursuant
2: to Standing Order Number 85.
1: Members were informed of a list of papers presented to Parliament, including
3: The Parasitic Mange Northern Ireland Order The Antrax NI Order The Foreign Animals NI Order The Importation of Wrapping Materials NI Order
1: Lord Craig Adden, the Prime Minister, rose to speak to the motion.
2: That the cordial thanks of this House be extended to the Lord Mayor and Corporation of Belfast for their kindness in granting the use of the City Hall for this meeting of the House of Commons of Northern Ireland.
1: Nothing had been said about the tens of thousands of starving unemployed in the streets of Belfast denied the Dole and outdoor relief. This was too much for the Labour MP, Jack Beatty, who shouted that his motion had been unaccountably refused
7: a motion to bring to your notice the serious position of the unemployment in Northern Ireland, the serious menace which faces the people in the division, which I have the honour to represent.
1: Uproar followed when Beattie seized the mace and refused to withdraw. Tommy Henderson, independent unionist for the Shankle, joined his anti-partitionist colleague to pour a torrent of invective at the ministerial benches.
5: We have not met for four months and we're going to adjourn for another two months. In the meantime, the starving people of Northern Ireland are to continue starving.
7: Order! Order! I'm going to put this out of action. The house indulges in hypocrisy while there are starving thousands outside.
1: Beatty then hurled the mace in the direction of the speaker and as it crashed on the floor, Henderson roared out above the tumult,
5: What about the 78,000 unemployed here, starving? The prevailing misery pulled the working
1: classes of the city together as never before. J.J. Kelly recalled, When
4: orange men and Catholics, the lines of starvation already etched in their hollow cheeks, gripped hands and declared emotionally, Never again will they divide us. There was consternation in the ranks of the professional politicians. Trouble was brewing in the city.
1: A few days later, on Thursday the 11th of October 1932, Catholics and Protestants united to defy a government ban. In rioting on the Falls Road, a man was killed and, J.J. Kelly recalled, On the Shankill Road,
4: crowds of growling men lounged about waiting. The police stood around too. Suddenly, a big red-faced woman ran to the crowds of men and in quick terse language told them that the unemployed and the police were in conflict on the Falls Road. One man was killed and others were wounded, and the fighting was still going on. Are you going to let them down? She almost shrieked. No, we're not, They roared back, and in a twinkling, a veritable
1: orgy of destruction had begun. The unity of Catholics and Protestants did not last. Sectarian hatreds were more enduring than feelings of class solidarity. As one street orator put it,
5: If you tuck all the orange sashes and all the green sashes in Belfast, and tied them round a ticket of the loaves, and threw them into the lagging. The gulls, the common ornery seagulls, they go for the bread. But the other gulls, you yeason go for the sashes every time.
1: In 1932, de Valera led Fianna Foyle to office for the first time in the south, and in the bitter economic war with Britain which followed, passions were easily aroused in Belfast. Nationalists hoped and Unionists feared that Partition could be ended by De Valera. De Valeri had a canary
0: up the leg of his drawers and when it got down, it sat on the ground and whistled the Protestant voice.
1: Savage rioting broke out in York Street and Lancaster Street at the close of the 12th Parades in 1935. It was the end of August before the violence ceased. Eight Protestants and five Catholics had been killed and over 500 Catholic families had been driven from their homes. At an inquest on riot victims, the city coroner made this impassioned appeal. It is all so wanton and
4: so meaningless. No good of any kind can be achieved by it. Bigotry is the curse of peace and goodwill. The poor people who commit these riots are easily led and influenced. There would be less bigotry if there was less public speech-making of a kind by so-called leaders of public opinion. It is not good Protestantism to preach a gospel of hate and enmity towards those who differ from us in religion and politics. As in
1: 1914, the outbreak of European war in 1939 diverted attention away from sectarianism. Once again, the shipyards and engineering shops of Belfast made a vital contribution to the Allied war effort. It was assumed that Belfast was beyond the range of the Luftwaffe, and so the city was very inadequately defended when, on the night of the 15th-16th of April 1941, nearly 200 German bombers made a sustained raid on the city. Over 700 were killed, 1,500 more were injured, 1,600 houses were completely destroyed, and over 28,000 dwellings were damaged severely. As Professor Blake observed, no other city in the United Kingdom save London had lost so many of her citizens in one night's raid. No other city except Liverpool ever did. Thousands took to the countryside every night, and at Stormont, the independent Unionist MP, Tommy Henderson, described one effect of the blitz on the people.
5: Will the right honourable member come with me to the hills and to Divis Mountain? Will he go to the barns and shucks throughout Northern Ireland to see the people of Belfast... Some of them lying on damp ground. The Catholics and Protestants are going up there mixed and they're talking to one another. They're sleeping in the shock below the same tree or in the same barn. They all say the same thing, that the government is no good.
1: Another devastating raid followed on the night of the 4th of May, 1941. The air raids laid bare decades of neglect as the retiring moderator of the Presbyterian Church, the Right Reverend J.B. Woodburn, observed in his sermon.
4: After the big blitz of a few weeks ago, I was inexpressibly shocked by the sight of people I saw walking the streets. Wretched people, very undersized and underfed, down-and-out-looking men and women, They had been bombed out of their homes and were wandering the streets. It is incredible to us that there should be such people in a Christian country. We have got to see that there's more talk of justice. We have got to see it enacted and the work will have to begin immediately. If something is not done now, to remedy this rank inequality there will be a revolution after the war
1: northern ireland's post-war development mirrored for a period that of the republic the hungry 50s the booming 60s but as in the south there were still areas of deprivation in belfast perhaps most notably in catholic areas where by 1978 unemployment ran at well over 20 percent at a time when the rate was only 9% for the city as a whole. Unprecedented violence and economic collapse have brought to Belfast the greatest decline in its history. It is not easy today to see a way out. Only the city's sectarian divisions maintain their purity and inviolability, as today we view two communities more divided than ever before.
0: Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for me and Tommy Todd. I'm a Finian and he's a prod. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Oh, the bricks, they will bleed and the rain, it will weep. And the damp, lagging fog, lull the city to sleep. It's to hell with the future and live on the past. May the Lord in his mercy be kind to Belfast.